we can have all the theory, we can understand holiness as we've looked at, we can understand the goodness of God, the, the greatness of God, the, the glory of God. We can have all the theology and the knowledge and the spirituality and all the gifts, but until it becomes alive, all we have is this wonderful head full of knowledge. And as our, our reading says to morn, this morning, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father. But all this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things, remind you of everything I have said to you. You know, there's so much mystery, isn't there, that surrounds these verses. And we've all had experiences, the good, the bad, the otherwise, of the Spirit and, and you know, the understanding that we are God's beloved people, that we are adopted by our Spirit, His Spirit, into God's family. We're taught, we're encouraged about our faith. And, and the integrity of our faith is measured by our ability to understand and live a life accordingly that is centered on the infilling of God's Spirit. The integrity of our faith is centered on the infilling and living a life with the, that centered on God's Spirit. Many years ago, the, probably in the last century, there was a, a, a number of religious scholars who, who wrote about the cessation, the, the finality of the Spirit, basically saying that when the apostles died, the whole uh, gifts and the Spirit died. And, and there's denominations that came out of that, that the Spirit is not alive today. There, there's no gifts to be looked at or seen today. And unfortunately, a lot of that teaching has died. But a number of denominations came out of it and people were saying the Spirit's not for today and, and the emphasis was on just everything that was, had nothing to do with the Spirit being alive. No application of our faith, and that seems to have gone. But these verses have a real significance. They have a real wow factor. They grab you. We will come to them and make our home with them. We are people of the Spirit. All of the knowledge, the teaching, the learning that we received, it needs to be Holy Spirit-inspired. It needs to be Holy Spirit-delivered and Holy Spirit-received. And without this, we miss the true essence of our Christian faith. We miss the, the pr practical anointing presence reality of the Spirit of God every day in our lives. And, and one of the outworkings of that is the, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the for patience, the kindness, the goodness, faithfulness. You know, something happens when God comes into our life. We change. We look forward to change. We look for his love in our lives. And a, and a spiritful person is someone, Acts chapter 6 they were having arguments about sharing food. And they said, go and choose seven people full of the Spirit and wisdom. Wisdom. 
In Acts chapter 11, after Stephen has been stoned to death, Barnabas is sent to Antioch, and he is described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, who brought a great number of people to the Lord. A person filled with the Spirit has an evangelistic ideal, an evangelistic concern. And for me, the starting place for all of this, for all of our Christian teaching, all of our Christian life, is this word discipleship. And if you look at the definition, it's a disciple has been shown to be someone who follows the teaching, life, and aim of another until the person becomes like the master. Discipleship in the Christian sense is the process of making someone become like Christ. The times I've been in, in the church over the years, every so often someone will come up and say, we need more teaching, we need more teaching, we need more discipleship, we need more discipleship, we need more discipleship, more teaching, more discipleship, more, 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 and which is fine. And it's the church's role to teach and disciple people. But I've also realised that it is your own responsibility to find and follow discipleship. The church has a responsibility, but each one of us has a responsibility to delve into the scriptures, to find the scriptures, to read and do our own discipleship. So I'm not letting the church off. The church and teaching needs to provide discipleship for believers and all that. But your faith needs to be progressive. It needs to be real and relevant. Real for the days we're living in. Relevant for the times. If it's not, it becomes static and boring and flat. It's a case of pursuing God and us individually, taking a sense of responsibility and go, yeah, I want to find this stuff. I want to be an apprentice to Jesus. I want my faith to mature. I want my faith to grow. I want it to be different in 5, 10, 15 years than where it is now. When I was in the Air Force, I was a chef, cook, chef, working in the kitchens. I really enjoyed it. And I'd only been there three and a half years and my boss came up to me and said, I've, we put your name forward for a commission. Now, that what means that they put your name forward to become an officer. And I was only young. I'd bombed out at school. And there was myself going up, and there's another guy, a corporate, who'd been there for eight years, a really nice guy, and he deserved the job. And um, so basically what you have to go through is officer selection for four days and it's trick cyclist psychology and leadership and blah, blah, blah. And somehow I got through it and this other guy didn't. And then the next thing, a couple of years later, I'm the boss of the catering on a base and I'm only 22. And, mate, I, I was out of, you know, I was out to lunch. I had these, I had 85 staff, I had crusty old senior insos in Warnos has been in the military for like 20, 25 years and they ain't going to listen to me. And I was trying to be the boss. And I was kind of losing the plot and a, and a senior officer came up to me and he said, you know, those people have been in the service for 20, 25 years, but do you know, they've had one year's experience 20 or 25 times. 
a really interesting point, and it's kind of opened something for me. And in your church life, you can have one year's experience 10, 20, 25 times. You can be doing the same thing in 10 or 15 years that you have done that. You, you can get to a place where you, you do not grow or mature in your faith. You just get, it gets flat, it gets boring, it gets stale. One year's experience, 15, 10, 15, 20 years' time. And, and the point is, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, we will come and we will make a home in them. You're never alone. There is something greater. Don't be boring in the church. Don't be flat in the church. Uh, Tony Campalo, some of you heard of Tony Campalo. He's an American, a sociologist, Bright man, Baptist pastor. He's even been a spiritual advisor to some of the American presidents. And he's written a book with his son, Bart. And it's called Why I Left and Why I Stayed. And they write a chapter each. And um, Tony Campalo's basically, his is about you know, his faith journey and why he's still a Christian in that. And interestingly, his son, Bart, who's 50 now, obviously brought up in a really strong Christian home, Married and Bart went into to ministry and mission work and Christian ministries in America and the city and feeding and caring for people, sharing the gospel, evangelism in the inner city. Later in his life, he said to his father that him and his wife, we don't believe anymore. We don't believe in this Christian stuff anymore. They'd had that journey, they'd done all that. And the book is, is it's, a, it's a nice written book. And it's, you know, Bart writes a chapter about why he doesn't believe. And Tony writes his. And, and, you know, at the end it is sad. Tony and his wife are praying that his son and daughter all come back to faith. And, and Bart, he offers up. He, he says, you know, how can a good God allow a grace, you know, a grace... Gracious, great God, how, how can he allow suffering and poverty and evil in the world? How can a great God allow bad things to happen to good people or young people or children? He goes over these kind of scenarios, which are not new. We've all been through those. But he sort of walks away from his faith on that kind of basis. And when I read it, I thought, there's not enough there to walk away from the faith. And he's now a humanist chaplain at a university in America. And he's, he doesn't offer, for me, when I read the book, a lot of logic to walk away from faith, to walk away from God. He doesn't offer an alternative. Lots of reasons and excuses. And my contention is if you build a personal relationship with faith, a personal relationship with your Lord, and your God, the reality that God walks with you, the reality that God is with you in every situation. I've come across a number of pastors over the years, and some of them are in big churches, successful churches, and they're great people. But do you know they still have hard times? They still hit rock bottom every so often. And I came to the realisation that we're always on the first rung of the ladder. We never, we never climb a great spiritual hierarchical place. There's always something else to learn. There's always something to humble us and start 
at the, that foundation place again and learn more of faith and learn more of God and to mature and grow in wisdom. You know, we can have everything perfect. We can have all the ducks in a row, everything in the box, all the I's ticked, all the T's crossed, but still miss the glory of God. Because we've had one year's experience, 10, 15, 20 years' time. Something happened way back, and we're stuck back there. And we miss the true glory of God. Discipleship, we grow, we mature, and we have to do a sense of that on our own. And it is hard. And the church will let us down. Sadly, I don't like saying that. Church people will let us down. When I first got into church, in the Pentecostal church, it was, it was a very, you know, for me and my naivety, I'd never been to church, I never knew anything. And I just started going there with my wife and um, these two spiritual men, the spirit, it was alive. And, and these men were my mentors and I looked up to them. And my wife used to say, don't follow the man, don't follow the man. But I said, oh, these are the men, these are the spiritual people. And I looked up to them. And things were happening. It was real cool. And then I moved away, another part of the country, and they moved to other churches, successful pastoral men. And then I heard over a period of time, both of them left their wives and wrecked the church. Spiritual giants. Mate, I was out to lunch. I'm like, dude, if these guys can't make it spiritually, how can I do it? How can I keep going? And it rocked my world. I, they just, it was really, for me, it was really tough. Because these were, the, these were the people I'd put way up there. And they just walked away. You know, we've got to have a foundation. We have to have a teachable spirit. We have to... Read our Bibles. You know, one of the churches I was in, we had a um, visiting speaker. And at the end, I'm shaking people's hands as they leave. And there's an older couple, been in the church for many, many years. And they came out and they had tears in their eyes. And we were shaking their hands and they said, Finally, it's gone from her head to her heart. It's gone from her head to her heart. And they had tears. It had gone from here to here. You see, we can have an amazing head knowledge and pass all the degrees and tick all the boxes, but we've also got to have a heart knowledge. We've got to have a spiritual knowledge where we accept that the, the Spirit is living within us. And, and we've got to ask for wisdom. We've got to ask for discernment. And we have to read our Bible. We have to read our Bible. Sometimes I don't practice what I preach. I didn't really start reading my Bible till about three or four years ago. Like I said the other week, <laughs> you know, you can work in a church, but you don't have to be a Christian. <laughs> you know, you can work in the church and read your Bible occasionally when you need to, to prepare for something. And then someone, someone got me onto this, and there's no laws or rules about reading your Bible, but someone got me to, to start reading an Old Testament book, a chapter, just working through the book, Old Testament each day, a chapter. Then 
a chapter, a, a psalm each day and going through, you know, circling. Then a proverb each day. Then the New Testament, the Matthew, Mark, the Gospels. Read a chapter of each Gospel each day and then the other, read a chapter of the other books of the New Testament. And I've started doing that and it's, I think it's a good thing. But, you know, find your own system. But you must, we must be close to God. And we start by reading the Bible. Because it isn't, our faith is amazing. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You know, we can sing it, we can hear it. Are we prepared to be observant? Are we prepared to do the hard discipleship? A number of years ago, I went through a time when I was meeting, just coming across people who I hadn't seen for many, for many years in the, in the church. Um, and, you know, they'd drifted away and I'd left. And, and just a handful of them had stopped going to church. Just stopped going to church. And for, you know, everyone has a reason to stop going to church. And some of them were meeting in little groups and stuff like that. But, you know... God's called us as a community. And this is a great community, the things that are happening, to support each other in the church. We need each other. And, and we need to worship together and come together. And when I was at Bible college, we, we looked at the Bible as, as history, as story, as poetry, as tradition. And, and when I was in college way back then, I didn't really care too much about biblical tradition and things like that but as I've got older when I look at the Catholic traditions and the Anglican traditions and some of that it's hung around for hundreds of years it's not all bad some of it is a good good ways to get close to the Lord good ways to get close to God you know the, the, some of the traditions that they do and and you know how you have your quiet days here and and the um the monastery, what's it called? Tyburn. Yeah, like, you know, some of those things are really neat to be observant about. And um, to build our faith, to build our faith personally as a disciple, as an apprentice to Jesus. And, and you know, I need to be honest, I need to be truthful that, you know, we can have all of the spiritual stuff. But as I said, you know, those two pastors, they walked away. The, kind, the good thing is, one of them came back and spoke with me about three or four years ago, and he'd reconciled to God, he'd reconciled to his family, his, his you know, great healing and, and redemption. And he's back into the church, and I'm pretty sure the other man is too, also back into the church. And that's not judging or criticising anybody. You know, we all hit the wall. We all do strange things at times. But they have come back to faith and they're enjoying their faith once again. And we need to be careful that, you know, we come to faith and we allow the Spirit and God's presence in our lives, but we're not robots. We still have our own free will. Okay? You still have your own free will. God has created you incredibly special. You have your own wisdom, you make your own choices. How real is my faith? Do I live my faith with integrity? 
There'll always be problems. There'll always be hassles, stuff happening around about us. But the answer is faith. The answer is Jesus. God will love you more than you'll ever understand. God will love you more. The presence of God in your life will be greater than you will ever understand. And I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced we only know this little bit of God. And when we seek and we find, it grows and it grows. And there's more out there. You know, I talked about humility last week, trying to understand humility. I think integrity is another great word. Integrity of our faith. What does that really look like? Do we have any U2 fans here? U2, Bono? Hey, have they got to the Waikato? Hey, U2, come on. Yeah, Bono, yeah. He, that's an Irish band, and they were formed in 1976. I'm not a muso, and, and I, I'd heard of Bono, and um, I knew he'd kind of had a Christian flavouring in his life, and bits and pieces. That's all I knew. And then I, I came across his biography. Has anybody read his biography? Quite a thick biography, isn't it? And uh, I got it from the library over Christmas. It's, very, it's actually, I thought it did you like it? I thought it was well written. Basically, it's a chapter, each chapter's on a song they wrote, isn't it? You know, each chapter talks about um, one of their songs. And um, he, he's, Bono is quite fascinating. He's met heaps of presidents, heaps of world figures, and he's really into, you know, poverty and, and aid and helping countries and doing lots and lots of stuff you'd never think about until you read the book. And um, he's, he's got a chapter in there, and it's about um, a song they've got, a street. What's it called? A street with no name. And he says... The the song was written during a live aid concert. They were raising money in Ethiopia for poverty. And um, the song came out of that. And he says, whenever we play this song, it's as if God walks through the room. I just want to read this quote I've written down. Oops, I don't want to read that yet. I go back. And he says... The lyrics were born in a feeding station in famine-ravaged Ethiopia. All the more bizarre that 15 years later, a car company offered us, listen to this, $23 million to use the song in a commercial. It was a preposterous amount of money to turn down, especially as we could have given it away, but turn it down, we did. Based on one comment out of the side of the mouth of a great friend and champion, Jimmy Iovine, and this is what this guy said to them. He said, you can take the deal, but you just have to prepare for that moment when you say God walks through the room, being known instead as Oh, they're playing the car ad again. 23 million bucks they turned down. Three of the members of the band are followers, are Christian people. And it was the integrity of the song they turned their money down. Because he says when it's played, it's like God walks through the room. If you take the money and it goes on a car ad, 
all people are going to remember is, oh, it's a big deal. It's all about a car ad. Instead of the fact that for them, whenever they play it, God walks through the room. It was the integrity of that statement. Amazing, they turned $23 million down. Now you can argue about whether they should have taken the money and given it away some other time. We will come to them and make our home in them. What standard is your faith? What is the integrity of what does the integrity of your faith look like? Be aware of lukewarm Christianity. These verses are about receiving from God, knowing God, knowing his love for you. And we need to be still and know God. He will be exalted. He will be exalted in all the earth. Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. You know, there... There is no gap between us and the Heavenly Father. There is no gap between us and the Holy Spirit. He is with us. He is in us. He is right here. He is right with you. He's got your back. He loves you more than you will ever understand. There's something of the holiness and the reverence of faith of God in our lives. And the, and, the, and the, you know, some of you will remember John Wimber. John Wimber was an American man who started the vineyard movement. Anyone see him in New Zealand when he came to New Zealand? He was, he was you know, he, we have the super Pentecostal hype. John Wimber would get up on stage and I saw him in Auckland. He had his heart pills. He died quite young, actually. I think he had heart problems. He never got healed, but he prayed for healing. But he would stand on stage and say a few words and he would say, oh, the spirit is moving over there. And people would laugh or manifest or something. And the Holy Spirit, there was no hype associated with it. It was just genuine faith. And he would wait and it was just a quiet place and the Holy Spirit would come. It was so different from the hyped up stuff that, that sort of had been through I guess the charismatic movement at that time. And it was very a, a genuine move of God. And, and God moves. And there is an excitement with the Spirit of God. I, I was reading about the Welsh revival. Evan Roberts was a, um, training, he was a minister at training college, at a theological college to be a minister. And, and God would wake him up at one o'clock in the morning to pray for four hours. And then the, the Welsh revival early last century just swept through Wales and, and hotels and pubs and alcohol liquor outlets closed down because no one was buying the liquor. And, and there's this change and move with people, move of God over the people. And, and they used to have the, the coal mining pits and the pit ponies would go down and, um, you know, to get the the ponies working, the men would yell and scream and curse and kick the horses to get them moving. And when the men came to faith, they started being nice to the horses. And the horses didn't know what was going on. They couldn't work anymore because no one was yelling and cursing at them. And, and, and this revival went throughout Wales. It was amazing. It's real. God will do it. 
What's interesting at the end of the book is that they say what happened is people lived for the experience and the emotion of the Spirit. People stopped coming to church. People stopped reading their Bible because they thought they had it all. You see what I mean? God wants to pour out His Spirit, but there's a certain integrity and humility with how that Spirit is received and acted upon and what we do with it. And we're all the same and we all need each other. And we're all on the first rung of the ladder, praying. And and Michael's prayer course is is a really neat course that will come to this church. It's a neat place to start. We have to pray. Got to pray. We've got to be a people who pray. Humble ourselves. But let's pray. Father God, Lord, your Holy Spirit, your very presence amongst us. Lord, is so powerful. Father, you bring blessing, you bring healing, you bring love upon love, oh God. And Father, I pray this morning, Lord, for every one of us, Lord, that we would receive from you, oh God. Lord, with humility, Lord, we would sit, stand, kneel in your presence, oh God, And welcome your presence and give you the praise and the glory, Lord. Father, forgive our sin, Lord. Wash each one of us clean in the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. Father, I pray that we would be a people who praise and worship you, almighty God. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we just sit here this morning, Lord, I pray your very presence will overwhelm us, Lord. Holy, holy, holy God. Lord, that we would receive from you, Lord. Thank you, Father.